0: Justice Gorsuch, Dissenting from the Denial of Certiorari The state of Arizona convicted Ramin Korami of serious crimes before an eight-member jury. On appeal, Mr. Korami sought a new trial, arguing that the Sixth and Fourteenth Amendments of the U.S. Constitution guarantee individuals like him a trial before 12 members of the community. The Arizona Supreme Court rejected the appeal, explaining that it considered itself bound by Williams v. Florida, 1970. There, for the first time and in defiance of centuries of precedent, this court held that a 12-member panel is not a necessary ingredient of the Sixth Amendment right to trial by jury. In his petition for certiorari, Mr. Korami asks us to reconsider Williams. Regrettably, the court today declines to take up that task. Williams was wrong the day it was decided. It remains wrong today and it impairs both the integrity of the American criminal justice system and the liberties of those who come before our nation's courts. Presently, the laws in 44 states entitle individuals charged with serious crimes to a trial before a 12-member jury. Only six states, Arizona included, tolerate smaller panels and it is difficult to reconcile their outlying practices with the Constitution. The Sixth Amendment protects the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury, and a mountain of evidence suggests that, both at the time of the Amendment's adoption and for most of our nation's history, the right to a trial by jury for serious criminal offenses meant— a trial before 12 members of the community, nothing less. Start with this. We often say that the interpretation of the Constitution of the United States is necessarily influenced by the fact that its provisions are framed in the language of the English common law and are to be read in the light of its history. And while scholars may debate the precise moment when the common law jury came to be fixed at 12 members, this much is certain. By the time of the Sixth Amendment's adoption, the 12-person criminal jury was an institution with a nearly 400-year-old tradition in England. In 1769, Blackstone stated the rule succinctly, no person could be found guilty of a serious crime unless the truth of every accusation was confirmed by the unanimous suffrage of 12 of his equals and neighbors. In the 1790s, James Wilson, both a framer of the Constitution and a justice of this court, explained the common law rule this way. The unanimous sentiment of the 12 jurors is of indispensable necessity to the conviction of a crime. From the moment it was adopted, the Sixth Amendment was widely understood to protect this ancient right. In the first few decades following the amendment's ratification, a flurry of state courts interpreted the phrase trial by an impartial jury to require the use of a 12-person panel a host of state courts pursued the same understanding through the balance of the 19th century. The third edition of Story's Commentaries on the Constitution likewise stated that a trial by jury is a trial by a jury of 12. Any law therefore dispensing with this requisite may be considered unconstitutional. Later American treatises echoed the same refrain, One said that a criminal jury means a body of 12. Any less than this number of 12 would not be a common law jury, and not such a jury as the Constitution preserves to accused parties. Another observed that a jury of less than 12 is not a jury, and a statute authorizing a jury of less in a case in which the Constitution guarantees a jury trial is void. A third taught that where the record shows that the cause was tried by a jury of less than 12 men, the trial will be held to be a nullity. Nor was this view confined to lower courts and commentators. This court first addressed the question of jury composition in 1898 when it overturned an eight person verdict from Utah. Speaking for the court, Justice Harlan, could not have been plainer. Quote, the jury referred to in the original Constitution and in the Sixth Amendment is a jury constituted, as it was at common law, of 12 persons, neither more nor less. In support of his conclusion, Justice Harlan stressed that the words trial by jury were placed in the Constitution of the United States With reference to the meaning affixed to them in the law as it was in this country and in England at the time of the adoption of that instrument. A year later, the court returned to the area, adding that a trial by jury, in the primary and usual sense of the term at the common law and in the American constitutions, is a trial by a jury of twelve. A year later, still, The court professed no doubt that a jury composed, as at common law, of 12 jurors was intended by the Sixth Amendment. Five years after that, the court repeated and reaffirmed Thompson's holding that the Sixth Amendment guarantees the right to be tried by a jury of 12. By 1930, the court declared that it was not open to question. That the right to trial by jury for serious criminal offenses means a trial by jury as understood and applied at common law, including the element that it should consist of 12 members. Nor was the court open to even slight deviations from this rule, to uphold the voluntary reduction of a jury from 12 to 11 upon the ground that the reduction though it destroys the jury of the Constitution, is only a slight reduction, is not to interpret that instrument, but to disregard it. In 1968, the court seemingly acknowledged all this, quoting Blackstone once more for the principle that the truth of every accusation must be proved to 12 of the accused's equals and neighbors. Decided against this backdrop, Williams was an anomaly the day it issued in 1970. The decision upheld a Florida law permitting the use of six-member juries in cases involving serious criminal accusations. In doing so, the decision contravened the Sixth Amendment's original meaning and hundreds of years of precedent in both common law courts and this one. Nor are the three most essential moves Williams made to reach its result remotely persuasive. First, Williams sought to sidestep any serious inquiry into the intent of the framers of the Sixth Amendment on the ground that their motivations were an elusive quarry. To prove its point, Williams observed that James Madison's initial draft guaranteed a jury trial with its accustomed requisites, but the Senate later dropped this qualifying language. According to the Williams majority, Madison's draft surely would have carried with it a guarantee of a 12-member jury, for that was an accustomed requisite of criminal trials at common law but the Senate's editorial change made it at least plausible to infer that some senators may have intended to abandon the traditional 12-person rule. This argument proves too much. Even Williams acknowledged that the bit of drafting history it cited might just as easily support the opposite inference it drew. After all, it is equally possible, from all we know, that senators omitted the phrase accustomed requisites because they understood the right to trial by jury as a trial before 12 members of the community and saying anything more risked confusion or surplusage. Recognizing this point, we have since explained that rather than dwelling on the text the Senate left on the cutting room floor We are much better served by interpreting the language Congress retained and the states ratified. And when it comes to that question, the answer is not nearly so elusive. Whatever the private intentions of the Senate editors, plenty of evidence exists about the original public meaning of the Sixth Amendment, and that evidence strongly indicates That the right to criminal trial by jury meant nothing less than a trial before 12 members of the community. Second, Williams not only had to sidestep evidence of original meaning to reach its result, it also had to find some way around a battery of this court's precedents, stretching from 1898 to 1968. To accomplish that, Williams tersely dismissed the teachings of all these cases as dicta. But that move, too, undersells history. As we've seen, long before Williams, this court stated unequivocally that the jury referred to in the original Constitution and in the Sixth Amendment is a jury constituted, as it was at common law, Of twelve persons. This court expressed no doubt that the Sixth Amendment right to a trial by jury means a jury composed, as at common law, of twelve. The court did not consider the matter open to question. To the contrary, the court said that even slight reductions in the size of juries would not be consistent with a fair interpretation of the Sixth Amendment but amount to a disregard of it. As Justice John Marshall Harlan II highlighted in his separate writing in Williams, this extensive line of decisions long ago liquidated the meaning of the Sixth Amendment. Quote, Before today, it would have been unthinkable to suggest that the Sixth Amendment's right to a trial by jury is satisfied by anything less than trial before a panel of 12 members. Third, after giving short shrift to original meaning and precedent, Williams still had to construct an affirmative case for permitting six-member juries. To do so, Williams first posited that the ancient 12-member jury rule rests on little more than mystical or superstitious insights. Next, Williams suggested that six-member juries would probably function just as well when it comes to ensuring thoughtful group deliberation and providing a fair possibility for obtaining a representative cross-section of the community. Even Williams had to concede, however, that few experiments and little evidence existed to support its claims. In the end, the best Williams could say was that as of 1970, neither currently available evidence nor theory had yet proved that a 12-person jury is necessarily more advantageous than a six-member panel. None of this supplies a sound basis for judicial tinkering with an ancient tradition. As the court in Patton wrote almost a century ago, it is not our province to measure the extent to which the Constitution has been contravened and ignore the violation if, in our opinion, it is not relatively as bad as it might have been. Or, as we put the point more recently, when the American people chose to enshrine the jury trial right in the Constitution, they weren't suggesting fruitful topics for future cost-benefit analyses. They were seeking to ensure that their children's children would enjoy the same hard-won liberty they enjoyed. As judges, it is not our role to reassess whether the same jury trial right that Americans enjoyed at the founding is important enough to retain. With humility, we must accept that the right may serve purposes evading our current notice. We are entrusted to preserve and protect that liberty, not balance it away aided by no more than social statistics even taken on their own terms williams's functionalist claims have not aged well before the ink dried on the decision scholars began criticizing williams for overreading the handful of studies it cited to support its tepid assertion that six-member panels would probably operate as well as 12-member juries And just eight years later, in Ballou v. Georgia, 1978, this court found itself confronted with the more recent empirical data. As Ballou acknowledged, this new data did suggest that smaller juries are less likely to foster effective group deliberation, and did raise doubts about the accuracy of the results achieved by smaller panels. As Ballou admitted, this new data also suggested that, as juries become smaller, the variance redounds to the detriment of one side, the defense. Smaller juries too, this new research found, are less likely to include members of minority groups and thus threaten to deprive defendants of a fair possibility of obtaining a jury composed of a representative cross-section of the community. While Ballou declined to overrule Williams outright, it refused to extend the decision to permit the use of five member juries. And in the process, it effectively undermined the entire functionalist rationale on which Williams rested. An array of studies in the years since BALU has done more of the same. These studies suggest that 12-member juries deliberate longer, recall information better, and pay greater attention to dissenting voices. This research continues to suggest that smaller juries are less likely to include minorities. And this research suggests that the absence of minorities can have a striking effect on outcomes. According to one study, there is a significant gap in conviction rates for black versus white defendants when there are no blacks in the jury pool. While the gap in conviction rates for black versus white defendants is eliminated when there is at least one black member of the jury pool nor should we need a barrage of statistical studies to tell us this much. During the Jim Crow era, some states restricted the size of juries and abandoned the demand for unanimous verdict as part of a deliberate and systematic effort to suppress minority voices in public affairs. To be sure, some states have adopted smaller criminal juries for different reasons, Arizona, for example, may have been trying to cut costs when it adopted its law permitting six-member juries in 1972, shortly after this court decided Williams. But the reality that smaller panels tend to skew jury composition and impair the right to a fair trial is no new insight. It is sad truth borne out by hard experience. For almost all of this nation's history and centuries before that, the right to trial by jury for serious criminal offenses meant the right to a trial before twelve members of the community. In 1970, this court abandoned that ancient promise and enshrined in its place bad social science parading as law. That mistake continues to undermine the integrity of the nation's judicial proceedings and deny the American people a liberty their predecessors long and justly considered inviolable. Today's case presented us with an opportunity to correct the error and admit what we know the law is and has always been. Respectfully, We should have done just that. We've reached the end of the opinion. If you'd like to request a particular opinion to be read on the show, or you just want to say hello, navigate your way to the show's website at whatscotusrotus.podbean.com and click on the contact tab. Until next episode, thanks for listening to What SCOTUS Wrote Us.